Thank you, worship team. Couldn't help but think as we're singing that last song. It says this. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. What an amazing end to the story. Well, at least it isn't the end of the story. Today's Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? We hear more about the story on Sunday. But isn't this amazing? The one who made the world, who made the people in the world, came to his own. They didn't recognize him. They rejected him. And just, just it's, it's amazing. You know, I, as I'm thinking about where to go this Friday night, you know, there's so many different aspects to the death of Jesus. There's so much that is written about it. Not only the historical accounts in the Gospels, but you take a look at the uh, epistles and all the implications and applications and different aspects that are explained to us about the cross. You listen to the songs we sung tonight. Every song really taught us about a different glimpse of the cross. You know, and you know you don't have that many more Good Fridays left in you. You say, where am I going to go? There's a lot to say about the cross. And I really wrestled with about five different directions. I kept saying, well, I can go this way. Then the next day, no, I'm going to go this way. And I'll go this way. And I said, God, I remember calling say, God, I only got a few weeks left here. We got to figure this one out. And God led me to a place tonight that really challenges my thinking and my praying when it comes to facing the crosses in my life. The difficulties. Scripture calls them the dying of Christ experiences in our daily life when we face trials. And I want to talk about that tonight. You know, open up to the Gospel of John. We're going to camp there. When I go outside there, I'll put them on PowerPoints. Turn to John 13. The Last Supper. And I want to show us before we go into this, Jesus knew what was coming. And there was some amazingly awful, unjust, painful things that were going to happen to him just in the next 24 hours. It's amazing what happened in 24 hours. I mean, you got the Last Supper, you have his betrayal in the garden, his rest, six trials. Uh, You're going to go into whippings and beatings and mockings and spitting, carrying the cross, being nailed to the cross, and finally dying. And Jesus knew all that was coming in just the next 24 hours. Listen to what he says here in John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... Jesus knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father. And then you look down to verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Jesus was very aware of everything that was going to take place. Turn to John chapter 
18. I want to show you one more verse here in this section that teaches us this. John 18, verse 4. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, so things I just, my next 24 hours, all this is going to happen. Knowing that all these things were come upon him, went forth and said to them, who do you seek? This was in the garden when they came to arrest him. And uh, they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. And I, you know what challenges me is, uh, I, I got to tell you what, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes it's good not knowing what's going to happen. I mean, I know when I know the trouble's coming, my mind and my heart gets all anxious with that. Jesus responds totally different to it. And I'm wondering how many of you are like me and how you think about the difficulties, the, the real tough times that they call them the crosses in your life. How many times, how do you think about those and how do you pray about those in your life? You know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talked about his salvation like this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's the fun stuff of Christianity. Want to know Jesus. Sweet Jesus, you know, my friend, my savior. We all want to know him and that knowing there is this heart knowing. It's not just an intellectual knowing. I want to know Jesus in a real deep, personal, heartfelt way. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. We love that part. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on and says this. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Whoa. And the fellowship of sufferings being conformed to his death. When I enter into the sufferings of Jesus, God wants to use those to conform us to the cross of Jesus, to his death. When we talk about we want to be like Jesus, how many of us think, you know, we want to be like him and so many of the good qualities that he has. We want to be like him and the power of his resurrection but we also want to, be, we want to be like him. I'm not sure we want to be. The scripture says that's part of the package. That's the part we wrestle with. But the sufferings, and those sufferings are designed to conform us, to shape our hearts, to make us the same way Jesus was when he went to the cross. So tonight I want to look at how did Jesus respond when he went to the cross? And what can we learn about? And of course, again, this is one window, one aspect. The cross is so big. But I want you to turn back to John chapter 12. Let's take a look at Jesus' response to the cross. John chapter 12, verse 27. He had just told his disciples basically that he was going to die. And then he said this in verse 27 of uh, chapter 12. Now my soul has become troubled. Appreciate those verses tonight. You know, he was overcome with grief and sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was fully man. 
Sometimes think, well, he's a God. He can handle it. No, he was fully man. He was fully God. He experienced the weight of the cross in all its depths. And his heart was troubled. It was stirred. It was distressed. And then he said this, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Did you catch that? Jesus didn't say, God, save me from this. God, glorify yourself in this. You know, we are, I'm so full of God, deliver me from this, <laughs> rather than God putting yourself on display through me in this. You know, and when I think about the cross, Jesus could have stopped the cross. He's God. In fact, when he came in the garden, I said, you know, who are you looking for? And actually he said, I am. You know, they said, we're looking for Jesus, I am. And when he said those words, they literally fell back out of the, just the power, the presence of being with Jesus. And they fell back on the ground. And, and Jesus had all the power in the world as God. The Father could have stopped this thing, but he didn't. When he's in Gethsemane, Josh, you took us through these passages tonight, and I, I appreciate that. And does somebody, what do he say? Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me, but, but not my will. Let your will be done. He placed God's will above his own. When he was betrayed by Judas, and when they came to arrest him, Peter was ready to deliver him. Peter was ready to uh, save Jesus. If you remember, what did he do? He took out a sword and he cut off one of the servant's ears. And, and listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26. Or do you not think I can appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legion, approximately 72,000 angels. How then will the scripture be fulfilled, which will say this must happen in this way? Jesus could have, like this, had 72,000 angels show up on the scene and deliver him and save him from where he was going with the cross but instead, he said in John, as you look over at uh, verse chapter 19, verses 8 to 11, eight, no, it's just verse 11. I have really messed this up. I don't know what chapter we're in. We're in 18 or 19. Here we go. We're in 18. The next one will be chapter 19. This one's chapter 18, verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into your sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Here we see Jesus continually submitting to the will and the plan of the Father. Don't save me from this. Peter, you, you don't have to do that. 
Shall I not drink the cup that the Father's given me to drink? And then Jesus went into six different trials. Now, this, if you want to talk about a kangaroo court, this is the ultimate kangaroo court. In the middle of the night, he's rushed away to Annas' house, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. Then he goes to Caiaphas, and he's, he's in a hearing in front of him. Then the, the, all the council of the uh, leaders of the religious elders and council met together, and they condemned him and sent him to Pilate. Then he met with Pilate, and Pilate said, I don't want to get my hands dirty with this one. Sent him over to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate. And so here is Pilate and in chapter 19 now, in verse 8, look at what, what takes place in this trial. Verse 8, therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. What statement? Well, the verse before, the Jewish leader said to Pilate, he should die. Because he made himself out to be the son of God. Pilate was like, whoa. You know, his response was like, and he entered into the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it has been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you as the greater sin. Pilate didn't have any authority over Jesus. The only authority he had was the authority that heaven gave him. And when I think of all these courts that Jesus went through, that... Uh, Remember the story when he's heading towards Jerusalem and the chief religious leader sent a team of people over to try to trap Jesus with questions? When they got done, when Jesus got done answering, they didn't even ask another question. They said, man, we, we, we can't even speak. I'm not going to ask another question. That's kind of like a white belt getting in the ring with a black belt, 10th degree black belt. And it's like, whoa, we're not asking this guy another thing totally confounded them with his wisdom. Could not have Jesus done this in all six of those trials? He didn't. Jesus, rather than asking the Father to deliver him, he asked the Father to display his glory through the cross. You know, again, Josh, you read all these, and I, I, I couldn't help but think of this. The insults... And the mockings that were thrown at Jesus during the cross all had to do with him saving himself. He could have saved himself. What the passerbyers say, they said to him, they said, come on down off the cross if you're the son of God. That's what they were saying as they were passing by. The chief priest said to him, you saved others. Can't you save yourself? The soldiers that were there said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. The criminal next to him said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is the King of the Jews. Yes, Jesus is the Christ. Yes, Jesus did save others. And yes, Jesus could have saved himself. 
but he didn't. He wanted to glorify the Father in this time. How about you and me? You know, I mean, this is what challenges me. How do we do when it comes to our difficult times and how do we face them? You know, let me just take a quick side note on glorifying God. I'll take you back real quick. I won't go to the passage, but the best place to understand what God's glory means is in Exodus 33 and 34. Moses prayed, God, would you show me your glory? And God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let all my glory pass uh, right in front of you. He said, I'm going to put you in a rock, but you're only going to see my back because no man can see the fullness of my glory because he died. It's not God is going to punish you for seeing it. It's just no man can comprehend and take the fullness of looking into the face of God's glory or they would die. And so Moses was in the rock and it says the next day as he was calling upon the Lord, God said his glory was going to pass in front of him. What passed in front of Moses? God passed himself in front of him. This is, this is what he passed in front of Moses. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Isn't this the glory of God that we saw at the cross? <laughs> Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low, low towards the earth and worship. Uh, Pete, you can put up that little acronym. This is the way I remember the glory of God. It's just the word God. God on display. It's when God is put on display. That is when God is being glorified. What do we see in Jesus in John 1? We saw the fullness of his glory, full of grace and truth. He came, he became flesh, and what we beheld in him is the glory is of the only begotten of the Son. He displayed God for us. What does God look like? We've kind of read about him. We've heard stories about him. What does he look like? How, how does he act? When Jesus came, we saw the glory of God. And everything about Jesus was a manifestation of who God is because he is God. He's the very son of God. So the question that you and I have to face is this. When we face troubles, when we face the most difficult times in our life, whether we know they're coming or they just kind of drop in on us and now we find ourselves in the middle of them, middle of them. Are we conformed to the image of Jesus' death by saying, God, I want you to use this. I want you to use this to glorify yourself. I want you to use this somehow to put yourself on display rather than God get me out of it. Listen to what 2 Corinthians says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You can just listen. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Where do we find out about the glory of God? It's in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? The face or the glory of God in the face of you. We have the indwelling spirit of Jesus now in earthen vessels inside our bodies. And so now the glory of God is living in me because he's a person and the spirit of Jesus is living inside of me. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from myself. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in this body the dying of Jesus. That's what being conformed to his death. These trials are called like the dying of Jesus. We're constantly being given over to death. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. God on display. God is using difficulties to break the control of the flesh in our life and kind of release the life of Jesus within us. And the more that the trials come and the deeper they play on us and they break us down, out of the brokenness, the life of Jesus within begins to shine through. And then he says this, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Let me ask you, whose sake are you living for? I mean, worship is really living my entire life for God. And you want to know an easy test to tell you who we're living for? If I'm living for my sake, when I come to tough times, I say, God, Deliver me from this. Get me out of this. Fix this problem real quick. But if I'm living for Jesus' sake, I say, God, display the life of Jesus through me. It's probably one of the simplest, clearest, most painful real tests to say, am I living for myself or am I living for Jesus? When we face the difficulties of our life. Now, I got to tell you, those who preach, Josh and I talked about it this week a little bit. Sometimes we preach over our heads. Uh, what I'm saying is, like today, I'm, I, I'm swimming in the deep end of the pool tonight, and I'm using floaties as I preach because I haven't arrived in this lesson. <laughs> There's still a lot of Pat living for Pat's sake rather than Jesus' sake, and I know it because when I first come to trials, I'm praying every, claiming the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, come fix this, Lord, come deliver me, come make life better. And when it comes to my wife or my kids or grandkids or friends, I can sometimes get on the edge of impeccatory prayers. You know what those are? 
You know, that person's hurting my daughter. Kill them, God. Get them out of the scene. I mean, that, that isn't the hard. What Jesus do? Forgive them, Father. They, they don't know what they're doing. Guys, the way we respond to trials, which Corinthians calls being delivered over to death, always caring about in our body the dying of Jesus, these difficulties, these perplexities, these persecutions, these trials. And God wants to use those as we submit to him and say, God, use this to put yourself on display, to make me more like Jesus in every way. At the end of that chapter, I love what he says, for these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal way to glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, God, these circumstances, these troubles, these difficulties, I'm not looking at those, but I'm those things are temporal, but looking at the things that are not seen, that are eternal. So that, that's what God's challenging me with. That's what God wants for all of us. Not just to know him and the power of his resurrection, but also to join in with him in his sufferings and allowing those sufferings to conform us to the image of his death. People like Jesus at the cross and say, God, I came for this purpose. And guess what? We were created for the purpose to glorify Jesus. <laughs> So God, this difficulty has really got a higher purpose going on than my comfort and my deliverance. God, would you glorify yourself? There's two reasons why Jesus did this. There's a Godward reason. He did it to fulfill the will and the plan of God, but he did it to glorify God. But there's an us-word reason. It's because he loved us. They want to give his life as an offering to save us. You know, when I thought about it today, I remember an old song, I don't even know who sang it, but it isn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. We saw already, there's so many ways he could have avoided the cross, it was his love for you and me. It's his heart for you and I to be saved. He gave his life. He could have called 72,000 angels even when he was on the cross to come and stop that thing. He stayed there because of his love for you and me. So I want to encourage you, if you're here tonight, and maybe you say, man, I just kind of showed up tonight. It's Good Friday. I'm kind of a religious person. This is so much more than religion. This is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The cross is about him, and it's that Barabbas powerful video. <laughs> What he did, he did as a substitute for you and me. What you want to know how bad sin is? Well, look at what happened to Jesus. That was the penalty for sin. He took my place and your place on the cross to pay for that sin. We deserved everything that he got, but he took it in our place because he wanted to deal with the guilt and the shame and the oppression and the weight of our souls that we all carry because of the, what sin has done to us. And he wanted to remove that obstacle that 
kept us from a relationship with the Father, one that starts right now in knowing God and lasts throughout all eternity. And so Jesus wants tonight for this act on the cross when he substituted for you and me to become effective in your life, not just a historical event some 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, but for it to be effective tonight in Palos Heights in this building, we need to accept. But as many as received him, many as welcomed him, many as accepted him, as many who took what he did on the cross and said, you know what, you're right, I'm guilty, I deserve this, that should have been me on the cross. But Jesus, thank you, you did that for me. And if you're willing tonight to admit I deserve that. I am a sinner. But Jesus, you did that so my sins could be forgiven and the weight of them lifted off my soul and I come in relationship with Father. And, and Jesus said, as many, that as many as believe in him and what he did and lean on him and rely upon that rather than themselves and their religion, their goodness, they have eternal life. I encourage you tonight, settle that if you have never come into a relationship with Jesus. And if you have, I hope tonight I presented the whole package of Christianity. We love to tell people all the good stuff. You know, come and know Jesus. You're going to have joy. You're going to have forgiveness. You're going to have all kinds of blessings. You're going to be happy, healthy, and wise. You're going to, you know, we, don't, we never like to tell them, oh, by the way, we, we forgot to read the warning label to you. It says there's going to be sufferings along with this, and God is going to use those trials to make you more like Jesus, to break down the control of the flesh in our life so the indwelling Jesus can be manifested through us so God the Father can be glorified. That's the whole story. That's the whole gospel. That's the whole Christian life. That's the real thing. Do you want it?